Hey guys, this is Sam with the Nerdship Podcast here, and I just wanted to uh, do a quick clarification before we get into the meat of the podcast. We had announced this week as being our review of Season 1 of The Last of Us. We are going to be doing that, however, is going to be Part 1 of a two-part review of Season 1 of The Last of Us for HBO Max. We simply found that there was a lot too much to talk about for a single podcast, so we did decide to split this into two parts. So if you like what you're listening to today, make sure that you're subscribed to us so that next week you can check out part two of our review. Enjoy, guys. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. I'm Sam Wilson. Joining me as always... Zach Schneider. And Liz Tory. Today we're going to be reviewing season one of The Last of Us, The Last of Us TV show for HBO. We're very excited to get into this one based on the 2013 video game of the same name. Everybody doing all right, Liz? Uh, my, you know, my mom is actually uh, out on the West Coast with you in, in L.A. at the moment, and she's g- commenting on how rainy and shitty traffic it is. Is that has that been yes. your uh, experience, too? <laughs> That's L.A. Whenever it rains, don't go out unless you have to. Exactly. Because <laughs> these bitches are like ballerinas on ice, clumsy <laughs> ballerinas on ice, yeah. and they will hit you. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sad that she's leaving Saturday morning morning because i have a show saturday night and i wanted to give her free tickets to it so i'm so sad about that (laughs) yeah you know it it is it is like i'm sure i know that she would love to to be out there you know for 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 those listeners like you know my mom sharon wilson has been on the podcast a few times so if you've listened to us a bunch you might you might uh know her know her by her voice and her opinions she's also very much of of the, the 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 nerd shit variety among us but yeah, but but she's out there shooting a uh, commercial. She she booked a, a national commercial that's shooting out in L.A. So Woo-hoo! I'm really really yeah, really yeah. excited for her. Uh, but yeah, you know it's one of those things. Like it's it's great that they they arranged her uh, travel. The, the the production is is arranged her travel uh plans but because of that she's not really in control of like when she leaves so yeah maybe maybe one, one of these days you know zach maybe you and i'll have to get out to west coast uh and, and maybe see one of liz's uh shows you know while, while we're yeah, out you should there come may 20th yeah you should come may 20th i'll give you free tickets to see tig oh that'd be All great right, yeah. <laughs> well uh, i know it's really soon but it is as pretty soon. Oh, we the mm. the boners might be on the tour uh, on on tour at that point actually. So I I might not be able to come then. But okay, yeah, we're actually we're going to be in South Carolina actually playing a show. But I can finally say, by the time this comes out, I can finally say that I'll have Bobcat in June. Oh, yeah, so, Bobcat. Okay, both you're you're just you're just going up and up into, into the stratosphere. All right, we're talking yes. about talking about Bobcat Goldthwaite, right? Not not Bobcat like not like not the the less known Bobcat Johnson, <laughs> Bobcat <Like>, Sherman. <laughs> <laughs> This is Bobcat we just, Jones. We just have a caged Bobcat yeah. we can bring out on stage. Yeah, no, that's what you do. It's like, we're going to have Bobcat. We're going to have Bobcat. That's all you say. Everybody's showing up. And then up. you just bring out like a zookeeper with a Bobcat. It's, you it's know? like, what? We said we're going to have Bobcat. I mean, that's, that's all we say. Yeah. Working with A-listers, I'm learning that they give you a specific time to sell your tickets. Mm-hmm. So you, they give you a specific time. Okay, now talk about it. Mention it. See what what people are interested in it. Okay, now you can put them on sale three weeks later. <laughs> but but they sell out pretty fast. Tigs are gonna go really fast. I've already had mm-hmm. I've already had a couple of people mention uh Tig Nataro on May twentieth, and we've gotten hundreds of people that just crowd in on it. So I see why they do that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the, the theater, uh, it's it's like right in the valley, right? Or it's it's like kind of... Oh, a... no, the theater's in Hollywood. Oh, it's in the Hollywood. Thea- oh, it's Ooh, in Hollywood. Got okay. it. Okay, yeah. No, my, the theater that I that I uh, work with and that I put my shows on and produce through is called the Pack Theater, and they're right there on Santa Monica Boulevard. They're right off They're right off the main strip. Yeah, that's oh, awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. So, it's yeah, that, that, but that's, that's definitely going to be, be helpful as far as, like, getting those big, like, L.A.-based yeah. comedians, you know, mm-hmm. if it's like... Yeah. if Because, if, like, especially if they live up in the hills or wherever they live it's like you know great awesome that's why i can afford to get them in 
because they're like, okay, I'm not working that day anyway. I might as well make a little money. <laughs> exactly. You know. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, Zach and I we're we're doing good in the uh the the the, the lovely Valley Hills of Atlanta, Georgia now. Valley Hills is a Valley Hill we're thing. In a valley region and we are on a hill. Uh yeah, so yes. <laughs> 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 exactly it's been nice in georgia actually like again it's it's been a cooler march but like it's it's been the past couple of days it's been very comfortable because it's been that kind of like sunny cool thing going yeah. on which which that's that's kind of my favorite kind of weather and like the pollen hasn't been quite killer yet uh i know it's gonna get a lot worse but it's gonna yeah yeah but uh yeah i'm just coming off of uh having like if i sound a little stuffy i just i'm just coming off of having a cold so it's not not allergies but you know i picked up picked up some kind of virus but i think it's definitely like in, in it's it's death throes at this point you know i caught it this past weekend it Good. seems like it's uh on its Good. way out but uh all right well we have a whole season of tv to review today so let's go ahead and roll right on into hbo's the last of us season one so full spoilers for the last of us are going to start here both the first and second episodes start with these these cold opens that are kind of meant to do exposition on cordyceps in general the first episode we start with a talk show in the 1960s uh we get some some fun cameos in there you know john hannah's mm-hmm. in there uh yeah and and then uh the second episode we have a, a mycologist in jakarta these are definitely original scenes that were not in the game at all what do we think of these scenes do we think that they were necessary for the exposition do we think that you know we could have lost them what do you what do you guys think of the of these scenes i'm not certain if they were necessary for exposition because all you really needed to know was hey fungus taking over they were extremely helpful in really setting the tone and instilling the terror, like even just from the talk show. Like personally, I found the Jakarta even more effective, but just from the talk show, just that deeply uncomfortable moment of silence. It just it does a great job of letting the audience feel the existential dread of this particular threat. It it does a fantastic job of setting the tone of what kind of world is to come. It does. It really does. I like that it's I like that it's in the past, you know, and then they skip because I come to this show not ever playing the game. So, I have that point of view. When I see John Hanna, my mind automatically goes to the mummy. You know, he was the brother Mm -hmm. in The Mummy. So I automatically think, oh, this isn't going to be good. He's going to fuck something up. Yeah. He didn't fuck (laughs) something up, but he did explain the the, the horror coming, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was the mummy level horror. I got to be honest. So I don't know. Like like you said, Zach, it sets the mood. Yeah, what they're talking about is pretty scary, but anybody with an associate's and bachelor's degree knows that this could never happen. Right. They've been on the news and they've had to say, no, this could never happen. So with that set, with this scene, we're introduced to a monster movie. And the monster is something that we've never really thought about, this slow moving fungus. And I I like the idea. I like the setup. It lets me know exactly where we're going to go. And then we go into the then we go in from that to, you know, the, the kind of family scenes that we have and they're talking about a cake so it this foreshadowing is kind of built very well pairing with each other as far as whether or not cordyceps and humans could actually happen yes it obviously couldn't actually happen but i will say that using cordyceps as a framing as 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 a way into the idea of a quote-unquote zombie thing like i know that the the writers of the show like don't like to use the word zombie with this but it it essentially is a version of a zombie apocalypse. It feels a little bit more grounded in science than any other version of a zombie thing that we found. Right. Because like it does. You look at something like Walking Dead, like I, I know that they they tried to like I remember that this the season one finale of Walking Dead when they go to the CDC, and this is years ago, going if you haven't seen it since then, but like I know that they tried to do a little bit of pseudoscience with explaining zombies, but like the pseudo is is definitely the the emphasis there. Like with yeah. this, like, 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 there's, there's, like, no basis for, you know, Walking Dead zombies at all. With the Cordyceps infection on this show, yes, it would never happen. It definitely would never happen. 
but it feels like they're at least using something that does occur in nature and they're using a kind of a speculative thing to say, okay, so there are these ants that essentially do become fungal zombies. It becomes that imagination of what if that were to happen to a person. So it, it I think because of that, the infection on this show feels a lot more feasible even though it is still impossible, it feels more feasible than any other uh, kind of zombie storyline that we see in any other movie or TV show. So the quick line, the quick line of if they evolve, then we would have a problem. That quick line sets mm-hmm. everything in motion and it lets you know what happens. We don't have to have a lot of backstory on that part of it. And I think that I think that that makes this more of a successful franchise than The Walking Dead because those zombies are basically based off of George Romero zombies. No, they before are. George Romero zombies, before George Romero zombies, all we had was voodoo and necromancy zombies. Uh, you put some dust in someone's face and they would just become a zombie for a few days and be able to do whatever. And, you know, magic explaining things. George Romero, his was, when hell is full, the dead will walk on earth. And that's the whole explanation of George Romero's and The mm-hmm. Walking Dead. Um, with The Walking Dead, they're like, it's a virus. It's a virus. We get sick and, and it's kind of like uh, a disease that we should stay away from and we just go kinda, rabid and like we can stay alive. It's like, that's, yeah. a, that's a human head that's still moving around and uh, wagging. Exactly, it's, yeah. It's just rabies. It's, don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> with, one, with one intro, with one intro and one main line, they put us in the mindset that this fucking could happen. Oh, my God. We got to stock up. No, no bread. I'm gluten-free from now on. <laughs> Honestly... An apocalypse with no pizza, that that is the real... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but I think that there's something about setting the talk show in the past and then yes. even setting the actual apocalypse 20 years ago and saying that yes. the, the current apocalypse we're happening is, is... It is an alternate version of 2023. Like, it, yeah. it's this thing of, like, this could happen, but I think by doing it, instead of setting it in the future, saying it in an alternate present, it helps to kind yeah. of separate us from that in a weird way. It does. Right. Of, of, like, okay, this could happen, but, like, obviously it's not happening. It's like, oh, well, yeah. maybe global warming could cause cordyceps to mutate. And it's like, well, we're experiencing global warming, and cordyceps hasn't mutated in that way. You know, it's it's like right, we... Yeah. So it becomes this <laughs> Don't thing... Don't get my hopes up, Sam. <laughs> it becomes a big what if. Yeah. Another reason I like that is that a lot of you know, some of the, some of the themes of the show are that, you know, you don't appreciate what you have until it's gone, and while our situation is not the same as what happened in The Last of Us, just having it be so that the good old days were what to us were actually the old days, I think is also like super effective as well. You know, just having that be, oh yeah, that was a time when things were a little different and we didn't have to be so constantly worried all the time. And hey, that sounds a lot like how the real world is too in some ways, but... <laughs> Oh, and that's fair, so, but on, on the yeah. on the other hand, like I, I definitely think, and I think the creators of the show have said this, that mm-hmm. part of the reason why they did that, of setting the outbreak itself in 2003 and having people talk about the possibility of this back in the 60s, that a lot of that was meant to make it clear that this is a work of fiction and not have, yeah. not, not have right, this right. feel like it's meant to be a parallel to COVID. Especially right, since yeah. the the game came out ten years ago, so like, and and this is very mm-hmm. tr- faithful to the game. So like, they didn't know back in t- twenty thirteen that COVID was going to happen. So it's like, it. W- w- I think they took steps to make it so that we we disassociate the show with what's actually happening in real life in terms of the pandemic that's actually happening in real life. And I actually think it was a smart move of them to to make that distinction. I do think that I liked the 60s talk show flashback more than the Jakarta flashback. I like the Jakarta flashback. This one felt even a little bit less necessary to me. Yeah. I don't know. There's there's a sort of existential dread in that one that I really liked. What what made it most effective for me, um, what really sold that particular one, was when the Doctor states that the army should immediately bomb the city and then says that she's going to go home to her family in the city. It's like, well, I don't know. You also just nuke everything. Me too. 
nuke me too. I don't want to live through this. I mean, it's an honest reaction to the way governments and societies would react to this. I do, mm-hmm. I do think it's honest, but I don't think it's necessary. That's fair. I, I, I don't think the scene is necessary. I think going straight from straight into the main story is different. I don't know if it was necessary. It was heartbreaking and it was interesting to find a character, to create a character that would say, Hey, I don't want this to spread anymore. And I'm just going to go home and be happy with my family because I'm going to tell you right now, there is no way in fucking hell that I would ever ever go home and sit down and wait to be blown to smithereens with my family. I would get my family and I would get them out of there. And I think that's the natural reaction for people. So creating this character that, that reacts in the exact opposite of our survival instincts, it's interesting, but I don't think it was necessary. I think that the problem that I ultimately had with it was we already spent this first episode getting to know and getting invested in Joel and starting to get invested in Ellie uh, and, and in Tess in that first episode as well. And in that storyline, I feel like taking this, like this 10, 15 minute sequence of like these completely separate characters in the past, I think to me was just a little bit disruptive for me in the flow of the show at that point, because I I kind of just wanted to get back to the main action at that point. Um, and I, I think that the scene just ran on a little bit long and didn't really tell us anything new. But at the same time, it's still a good scene and it's still a well done and very effective scene. Oh, absolutely. So, oh, and yeah. I will say that I, I rewatched uh, the whole show yesterday in preparation for this. And I think that that scene worked a little better for me the second time I watched it. I still think it wasn't wholly necessary. And it's, it's, it's one of, if, if it were me, I personally would have cut the scene. But I also don't blame them for keeping it in. That's, that's kind of how I yeah. feel. It's pretty. Oh, I'll yeah. say that. And it, and like you said, it's well done, but I, I really don't think it's necessary at all. That's pretty much how I felt. What do we think about the way that they handled the infected? You know, the runners are the ones that are the more kind of traditional kind of, like, I guess, the fast moving zombie types. And then the clickers, which are absolutely just terrifying straight out of the game. Really, really effectively done. Uh, and then we do see one bloater as well, which I wasn't sure if they were going to have the bloaters on the show at all, because the bloaters are the, the ones that feel the most broadly video gamey to me. Yeah, but it actually was really effectively done on the show, I feel. So what do you think mm-hmm. of kind of the different uh, infected types? I think that I enjoyed all of the artwork that went into creating these creatures, all of the physical all of the physical uh, work they they have so many practicals in this in this show, and it's just really phenomenal to see them created. But I think that they've made the mistake that The Walking Dead eventually went into, and that's leaning on the humans to be more of the enemies than these than these zombies, than these clickers or, or runners. The bloater was fucking awesome. But I I think they I think they use their whole budget for the infected in that one scene where the they come up from the ground. So they're like, OK, we're going to dump all of our money in there right there. The rest of them will just have one or two here and there. We're good. We're good. That's, that's the tradition. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I almost feel the opposite. Well, not in regards to the fantastic artwork, because good Lord, yeah, these are really super well designed. I even love how the runners, there's a change. I'm not, I actually didn't get very far in the game because, and I know this is a bit of a sin in the nerd or even video game community. I don't like the gameplay of The Last of Us very much, but love the story from what I saw. And definitely from what I saw of this show. I'm not certain if it was a thing in the games. I liked, there was one change to how they did it. In the games, they spread through spores. In this show, they spread through tendrils. I liked that visual change because it made even the average zombies just a little more inhuman and creepy. Um, Even the runners, when they come up and they have the tendrils coming out of their mouths. uh, It's just a fantastic visual. I liked the implementation of them. I think they were used just right because, frankly, I'm not that interested. I don't like zombies very much. I'm not that interested in zombies as a zombie show. Um, I am more interested in people and, you know, the kind of situations we get ourselves into. So I think, in my opinion, they were used perfectly about exactly as much as I would like. And again, 
I like how at all times, whenever they did show up, they were a dangerous existential feeling threat. Um, that was one... Again, I never liked much of the games, but I did appreciate how in the game you never had humans just like feeling like superhumans and mowing down hordes of zombies. It was always, oh no, zombies, that is actually a problem. Yeah. And I appreciate that in this show. Yeah, I mean, they do show that in a post-apocalyptic society, they have a handle on containing themselves and keeping a society going, which I think makes the whole show more hopeful than The Walking Dead was. Mm -hmm. um, so I do appreciate that. And I do appreciate them using cults as the bad guy, you know, because that guy got what was coming for him. Well, I, I think that, and, and I don't want to get too much into, like, comparing this to Walking Dead, although I do think it's a fair comparison because there's there's a lot of mm. similarities in terms of the setting and everything. But I think in terms of, you know, them having a better handle on society as opposed to Walking Dead, you have to remember, too, that this show takes place 20 years into the apocalypse, whereas exactly. Walking mm -hmm. Dead takes place almost immediately after the apocalypse. A couple of weeks after, yeah. And the further along you get in Walking Dead, they do actually get a better and better handle on on the society part of it as well, on trying to rebuild that. And that's kind of the overall arc of the later seasons of Walking Dead. It's just with Last of Us, we immediately skip to that. But we get the sense that the early years of the apocalypse was probably a lot more Walking Dead-esque, especially, you know, Joel talking about the fact that he used to kind of, he used to be a bad dude, he used to kill people, he used to kind of be a raider or whatever. But that's because, like, you get the sense that the early years, it was very Walking Dead type of thing, more so. Yes. I will also say I appreciate through that this show is not retreading the ground that Walking Dead did. It's like, okay, Walking Dead did that particular type of show. This is going to be a slightly different focus here. As far as the amount that the infected were on, on the show... I completely agree with Liz, and, and I have a specific reason. I have several, actually, story reasons why I think The Infected should have been on the show more. And it's not even just about wanting to see more zombie action, although zombie action, to me, is also fun. But, like, I actually think it's important to the narrative of the show to not downplay the threat of the zombies. I think yeah. that the first half of the show does a really good job of showing the threat of the zombies. And I think the second half of the show kind of forgets about them too much because and I think that that actually undercuts the the moral yes. quandary at the end of the show of saving Ellie or not, because if like by the time we get to that last episode of we can create a cure, but Ellie has to die to create the cure. It becomes this thing of like, well, based on the last, like, we've, we've barely seen zombies for the last, like, five episodes. So, like, how much of yes, a problem? So, why? so, like, how much of a problem is this really? It's like you yes, go back to right. the early part of the show. Oh, they do actually feel like a big problem, but they kind of stop feeling like a problem after a certain point. And they I do. actually think that that undercuts the story and it undercuts that ethical dilemma at the end of the show of not having not having enough. And then there's also even specific things of I think the show, especially in the second half, lets the audience relax too much in a lot it of does. ways because it, it becomes this thing of like in the video game. You, there are a lot of infected encounters in the video game. There's also a lot of human encounters in the video game. And I understand that a video game is going to have a lot more action than the show does. And I'm not begrudging that aspect of it. But at the same time, when you get things like, you know, you're in the university and you hear some kind of banging noise behind a door and you think it's going to be clickers, but then you open it up and it's a bunch of monkeys and it becomes that kind of false scare. Yes. It's one of those things, you know, you see like Ellie is helping you with the ladder. Then she drops the ladder and go runs over to see something and you're having to chase after her. What's going on? And it's a giraffe. But those moments only really work if you think that it's going to be a zombie yes. before it happens. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that there aren't enough examples of setting up a moment like that and actually having it be a zombie so that when the show sets up those moments, the surprise isn't really there because we haven't seen a zombie for like five episodes at that point. It's just like, so you're not really exactly. expecting to see them anymore. 
And you don't yep. feel that sense of tension that anything could jump out around any corner. And I think in a show like this, it's actually important for that to always be the case. So I, I, I think agree. that it undercuts the tension, not having as, as many infected encounters as there could be. I'm not sure I agree. Just about the need to have that constant sense of tension. Like for me personally, I felt that relaxing on the tension, especially compared to Walking Dead, actually helped me, you know, get to know and really bond with the characters more. Having it be, you know, slightly less overtly dangerous and more of a meditative journey. I don't know. I personally like that aspect, but I see where you're coming from. But I just I'm not sure I personally agree. I see your argument, and I, and it's nice to be able to relax and enjoy the characters, but throughout the show, throughout the show, Joel is always like, be careful, don't do, no, uh-uh, don't, don't drop your guard. And it's like, you almost agree with Ellie every time she's like, eh, what's the point? Because most of the time, there is no point. There's not enough, there's not enough tension of me thinking around that corner, something's going to eat them. Around that corner, something's going to give them the furry fungi kiss of death. I think for me, like, that tension is warranted because he's been doing this for years. And, you know, I'm almost fine with the idea that the world is getting slightly less dangerous over time as the infected, you know, freaking die out as new generations of people come up. But whenever the infected do show up or whenever something bad does happen it happens badly enough that you always feel like a sense of tension is warranted like second episode infected show up test dies to an infected um in kansas city when the infected show up you know the kid brother dies due to infection when he's on the lookout for raiders when they're looking at that hospital raiders show up he gets stabbed he nearly fucking dies and Coley gets Ellie gets kidnapped by a cult. When bad things happen, they happen, you know, it, none of it is ever like fully shrugged off and it is always a pretty bad degree. It's just it doesn't happen as often as it did in the game. But that's still I just enough hate that to, it's humans that the, when bad things happen. That That's the thing. It's like the first half was too loaded with infected encounters and the second half was too loaded with human encounters. I think it should yes. have been more spread out to equally sell the thread of both. Because, again, yeah. by the Perhaps, time you yeah. get to the second half, you kind of just start forgetting about the infected. Because, like, the only times that, like, you see one in a flashback that bites Ellie and Riley. And, but that's, again, that's in the past. And we already know that Ellie got bitten at one point. And then after that, yeah. there, I think there's like one, like maybe one infected that that pops up like in, in another episode. But like there's there's too many episodes with zero infected. And yeah. it's not just about zombie action for the sake of zombie action. It's no, actually it it's actually important to the narrative to sell how dangerous the world is with the infected. Yes, because otherwise the more the ethical dilemma with Ellie is not a real ethical dilemma. You know, even if you're saying Zach that you're okay with the fact that the world feels like it's getting safer, if the world feels like it's getting safer, then there's no dilemma with Ellie at the end. They're really that's that's right. honestly how I feel. It's like yeah, what what's the problem that really needs to be fixed in the world really? Um, which I yeah. think the first yeah. half of the show does a great job of selling that there is an actual issue with, with the world that needs to be fixed. But I think that that goes away too much in the second half of the season. With the way yeah. it's set up, I would have made the same exact decision that he made at the end. No, you're not killing my daughter because that's the way he thought about it. No, you're not killing my daughter just to save the world because the the problem is disappearing. Yeah, we're supposed to feel conflicted about what he does at yes. the end. It's supposed to be this debate exactly. back and forth. And I think the it game is. does such a better job of really selling that danger and that constant tension. And I, I like, yeah. I, I don't think that the constant tension undercuts the character development. I think that both of those things can be absolutely true. If anything, you really see Joel and Ellie in the game uh, bond together as a result of being in constant danger. And you see, I think yes. that bond becomes stronger as a result of that. Personally, I agree. I see where you're coming from, and I do agree that it would probably have been better to definitely space out the infected encounters throughout the whole thing, make it clear that this is a worldwide thing, not, oh, we just happen to live in some really unlucky cities. Exactly. Because again, I, I also am more interested in the human parts of these stories, but you can't forget about the apocalypse. You can't forget about the zombie part of it at the same time, because that's, a, that's a, still an integral part of your setting. 
even more so, frankly, in this show than in something like Walking Dead because of the the, the immunity and the cure part being a part of the storyline, you know, is like that question of is it worth sacrificing one person to save the world type of thing, um, which we'll come back to that. But what about I know we're barely through into the show at this point, but the uh, the 2003 sequence with Sarah, I think really well done. I like I love Sarah in the game. I love Sarah on the show. I think that they did a great job adapting the the, the prologue in, in the game in the first, you know, kind of half hour or like really but maybe longer, like the first kind of half of the first episode is, is kind of devoted to this. But what do we think of this whole prologue sequence of showing Joel's backstory with Sarah? I liked, and I liked this in the game too, uh, from what little I played of it, but I really liked the decision to make Sarah kind of the protagonist of this sequence, you know, much more following her, getting to know her. And yeah, we do learn about Joel. We do see Joel here, but this is mostly about Sarah, um, who she was as a person, slowly getting the terror of the apocalypse from, you know, a young person. And... I like that decision because it makes her death feel like even more of a gut punch to even, you know, just to people who just started. And also it gives you a much better idea of what was lost, not just broadly, oh yeah, we lost the world. It's no, we lost this really interesting, fun, you know, compassionate person who was nonetheless still a really believable kid. Making her, making it from her point of view. It draws us in and it think and it makes us think that she's going to be one of those long lasting characters because we see this family life and these sons of bitches set us up for heartbreak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was geniusly done. It pulled us into their regular life. You know that Joel is up to sketchy shit at this part in his life and he's not sketchy. After the apocalypse, he's sketchy before the apocalypse. And I think that's important to, to kind of realize. I, you get hints of that by the way his brother and he talk back and forth. And you also get that she has no idea that her father's up to sketchy shit. You know, they, they haven't really, they haven't really explored a lot of that, but I know that there's a lot that they can go through, especially with the ending, with the way it ended and with him losing Sarah. And really, we we uh, we watched the series together, and really, watching it together hits a totally di- that ending hits totally different because he has been through this. He lost his daughter, and there are moments that mirror the ending and the beginning. And so it's it's this nice rounded it's this nice rounded journey with these char- with this character with Joel. And I kind of understand why he becomes so dark. They do a really good job at telling me why he goes so dark. Yeah. Well, and we see that he even does have that capacity for darkness, even at the beginning. I'm kind of glad you said mm-hmm. that, Liz, because mm-hmm. even in, in when they're in the truck together, and this is straight out of the game, but like when they pass by the family that's that's begging for help and Tommy wants to stop mm-hmm. and Joel just nope. says, keep going. You know, it's, it's like there's there's little moments like that that kind of show that Joel does have that capacity of, you know, I'm I'm just here to protect me and mine. Like he like yeah. you see right off the bat, then this is an important thing about Joel, that he kind of doesn't care about uh, uh, the greater good. He cares about the people that he no. loves. Exactly. I think that I think that that is an important thing to realize about him as we go into this whole series and especially going into the very end of the season. With that one scene, they foreshadow what happens at the end. There, well, there is so much foreshadowing of the ending throughout this entire show, and I'm I'm gonna kind of get into a lot of that. Oh, but yeah. there, there are so many characters that that represent different aspects of the Joel Ellie relationship. Yes, of people that mm-hmm. they meet throughout the entire show. But yeah, the the intro with Sarah was great. Uh, I of course I, I I'm coming through perspective of I've played both games, both Last of Us and Last of Us Part Two, and they're, they're some of my favorite video games I've ever played. I knew what was going to happen to Sarah because I have played the game, but it does does like the game does the same thing that the show does. It, it it starts off from Sarah's perspective. Sarah is the playable character of the prologue. Like you are playing as Sarah at the beginning un- until, you know, the, the point where she like hurts her leg and then you switch to Joel when, when he's like running with her through the street. 
but they but they do a great job and i i think that the show even does a better job of like really letting us like expanding adding new scenes to let us get to know sarah even better and get to understand this family dynamic even better but then the scenes that are from the game are straight from the game you know like that scene with with the two of them on on the couch when he comes home from work late, late at night like that that's how the game opens up you know that that's that's straight up you know uh, uh, when when she gives him the watch it's like hey how'd you afford this and she's like oh i sell hardcore drugs you know it's like line line for <laughs> it's line for line like this is dialogue from the game and i was like when that scene happened I I when I was watching the show I was like okay so we're 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 actually like really doing the game and especially the scene where they're in the truck together which is also straight out of the game and then especially especially Sarah's death scene which is like shot for shot from the game I was like okay like there's going to be times where we deviate and I'm actually glad that they started off with the talk show scene because that also gives a message to the, to game fans that there are going to be differences, but then you see those scenes like, but then there are going to be scenes that are straight out of the game. Is it, it was it was so interesting the way they did it, but like it really, yeah. I I was I was so happy about how they did the whole prologue because it it has the exact it's the exact same gut punch when Sarah dies in the show as as when she does in the game. It's the exact same feeling. Yeah. And they completely nailed it. They completely nailed it. You know, sometimes, you know, whenever there's an adaptation, I'll often praise love of source material. This show almost goes beyond. It is, it is just a straight-up adaptation with many, many one-to-one shot and dialogue inclusions from the original game in my opinion and it's not you know obviously right you know they they do make changes but whenever it needs to whenever it was really important um i do enjoy that they stuck to exactly what the game did right in the first place and i was like okay yeah yeah completely but it's one of those it's such a smart adaptation because they they stuck with it where it made sense and then they deviated where it made sense but even in the parts where they deviated they understand the intent of the game so well that whenever they make changes the changes make so much sense and they still feel even when a really major story change happens which we'll get to the third episode in a second but even when they do a major story change it's still still somehow so true to the spirit and the original intent of the game at the same time. And it's, it's so effectively done when we jump forward 20 years to the present day. Um, I think that the Fedra and fireflies thing is interesting because like in a different show set in this setting, like you could definitely see like a set of protagonists who are, are like in the fireflies, like let's take, let's, Let's take down this, you know, totalitarian government. But I like that the our all of our main characters are completely neutral in this this battle. Yes. And I like that, you know, the fireflies on the surface may seem like the good guys in the conflict, but I like that it's a little more complex than that. I like that both sides are a little bit you know, if anything, the fireflies might kind of be the lesser of two evils, if anything. But but even even Fedra, like they they do a good job of 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 uh, ex- expressing both sides in a way that's complex and gray. Okay, so one of my favorite things about Star Wars is going back and forth between the rebels and the Imperials, and looking at how both of them think that they're right. That's fun in this. That's fun in this show. Okay, but Liz, I I actually don't really think that one's meant to be morally complex, but <laughs> no, yeah, it's not. There's, there's no, a lot of moral complexity between hello, we are Nazis wearing actual yes. Nazi uniforms, and our stated goal is to blow up a peaceful planet with our giant laser. <laughs> yes, yes, I agree, I agree. But I, when I say Imperials, I also mean the regular folk. That are living right. on Imperial planets as opposed to the people living in the Outer Rim that are living with the rebels who protect them and provide for them. Which was an interesting part of Andor. We know the whole story. We know that they're Nazis. Yeah, well, we think about it. Palpatine really wasn't that bad. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's But it's the idea of people being hoodwinked. It's like the Fireflies, they're not great people. They're pretty awful. They're pretty goddamn awful. But Fedra, Fedra has some things that they do that's not so good either. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I like that. I like going between. I still haven't picked a side. Throw some dice. Which one is actually doing better for the community? Maybe they should create a council and try to talk it out instead of blowing each other up. Which, hey, is the the one settlement that people actually like is the one that does that. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say Tommy and Maria's community is like the only place I would want to live in this setting. Different. They're the only place yeah. in yeah. this entire setting I would want to live. It's like they're the only yeah. ones that have, have this shit figured out. You know? Yeah. I love, I fucking love that part where Tommy is explaining what they actually are and his wife goes, yeah, we're communists. He's like, he's like no, no, it's, it's not like that. It's like, no, it's it's textbook communism. We live in a commune. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love that. But yeah, it's it's. I love the way that they do that. But everywhere else you turn, people are kind of demented. Their groups are kind of demented. You know, it's like the it's like the zealot. What's his name? Uh, that piece of shit that Ellie killed. David. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you have all these people popping up as leaders, but you don't know the full story. And I understand why they're on edge whenever it comes to seeing other people. Because when they saw David's people, they they pretend like they weren't going to attack them. They pretend like Joel attacked them and they had no reason to attack them. But if Joel had not attacked and gotten away with Ellie, they would have been that night's roast beef. Definitely would have. That particular debate is, you know, really interesting to follow. Like the Fireflies, their plan seems to be pretty much blow it up. They don't yeah. seem to have good organization. They don't really seem to be polling the masses as to what they want. They broadly oppose a fascistic group. And it's like, okay, I get behind that. But you are shit at literally everything else that you do. I mean, even <laughs> even at the end when it's like, all right, we're going to study. We're going to try and develop a cure. Okay, you're going to like observe Ellie for several months with the doctor and take several samples. No, we're skipping straight to uh, fatal Cutting surgery. Up brain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're gonna dice up her brain with some onions yeah. and some bell pepper. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah, great. We're just gonna skip straight to that. But yeah, on the other hand, Fedra are fascists, but also it's like you do need some sort of order and control, but that that lended itself to fascism really quickly. And that's what I like yes. about Fedra is that you understand exactly how they came about is yes. martial law turned into, oh, great, no way to survive. I, have all this, uh, I have all this fantastic power. That I can lord over other people. I gotta be honest. I'd, I'd go to Fedra first because they seem like the most common sense thing to do because it is order. And then after I got there, I'd be like, these people are cray cray. And then I'd be like, okay, let's, let's, let's try the other team. Let's see what the other team is like. So I'd go to the other team. And when they start talking about pipe bombs and blowing shit up, I'd be like, they, why do you want to blow things? No, I'm out. I'm out. And yeah. then I would, I hate the winter. I fucking hate the snow. Fuck the snow. When it's around more than a day, fuck the snow. But I would take the snow over these two groups. Yeah. Yep. No, completely. That that Wyoming community completely is 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 yeah. where it is. Or just be like that 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 older Native American couple who's just like we're just gonna live in a oh cabin God, yes. in the middle oh, of fucking yeah. nowhere because fuck all of these people. I fucking like, love those two. God. <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, you're really bad at sticking us up here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those two, those two, what what sitcom were those two from? Oh, I don't know. I I, I recognize the, the 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 actor has has been in a bunch of stuff. The husband has been in a bunch of stuff. Um, but I I don't know. I I didn't know they were on a show together. But uh, I have to find it. The two actors are from a sitcom. I mean, I would watch a sitcom of these two characters in this in this Me universe. Too. Just, uh, like, Me just, too. just in this setting, just you know. <laughs> I love, I love that he comes in and he goes, "You made them soup," and she goes, "It's cold." <laughs> <laughs> like, why, why didn't you shoot him? Oh, the gun's all the way over there. <laughs> the gun's all the way over there. <laughs> I fucking love her. They're just, so they're just. So like she's just so unconcerned like, about the, these two. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, they broke in, but you know they're yeah. <laughs> of course, we're introduced to Joel and Tess. Also, uh, 
I like these two. I think they have an interesting complex relationship. We kind of know, we find out a little bit more about their relationship on the show than we do in, in the game. But like, it's, it's interesting. It's like, they seem to have kind of something, something going on, but you know, he keeps her a little bit at arm's length, but she also treats him like kind of her henchman, which I think is interesting too. It's, it's, it's interesting with those two. And, and as we're kind of brought into, into the, 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 the present action. Yeah. The exact term is definitely partner. They are 100% partners. Whether or not that ever got romantic, I like is a little bit vague. Other people certainly seem to view it as such. But yeah, I kind of like that there's a little bit of distrust. They don't entirely see eye to eye, but also they would absolutely, you know, kill for each other and go shoot that bastard who punched the other person in the face. It says that they're not actually a couple. Um, that they, they share a lot of intimate moments, but they're never officially confirmed as a couple. Well, I, I don't think so. that they label their relationship. I do think they've been fucking, honestly. I do think that they've been sleeping together. <laughs> well, the I mean, yeah. it's the end of the world. You gotta, yeah. you gotta, you gotta have hobbies, and sex is a good but, but hobby. She, but she has a <laughs> line, when she knows she's she's dying, she has a line of, I, I've never asked you for anything not to feel the way that I felt. So it, it makes it seem like she has some kind of romantic feelings towards him. They're not completely yeah. reciprocated on his part, but he does view her as, as family. He actually does kind of say that to Ellie yes. later on, that he does yeah. view her as family. But I, I also think that un- until Ellie comes along, I think Joel feels that he can't get really that close to anybody. I think that, yeah. that Tess yeah. is the closest that he comes to that um, after after Tommy leaves. Like, he's always going to have that relationship with Tommy, but... I felt like Tess saw him as a blunt weapon. Well, Tess is the one in also, charge. Yes. Like with their dealings together, Tess is the one who's in charge. I yeah. I, I do yeah. think that Tess is the oh, one yeah. in charge. Like, and that's well, that's, that's definitely the um, that's definitely the because like when when she she has that scene with Robert and his two guys where. Robert's like, you know, where you know after like her, her his two guys that kind of jumped her, and it's like. Oh, you know, I mean, they're your guys. You should discipline them. And he's like, well, what about your guy, though? Like, there's there's within these circles, there's definitely a perception that Joel is Tess's henchman. Like that is and I think that yeah. that's kind of accurate, you know, in some ways. Yeah. yeah. But really, they are also partners. They do make decisions together. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know that she cared for him until be- right before she died. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I, I'm sure that they had a lot of intimate moments and I'm sure that whenever they had a stressful day, they were each other's fuck buddies, but I, mm-hmm, right. I didn't get the feeling until the end that, uh, they had feelings for each other. And with Joel, I don't think it was ever romantic feelings. I think it was we're partners in this apocalypse and we'll survive together. I think that's pretty accurate. But a yeah. bond does develop. It might not exactly be a romantic bond, but a bond does develop with that. It does. And and Tess's death definitely does have an effect on Joel. It, it definitely does. does. So I love when he says you find something to fight for. And when it when it's gone, you live long enough. If you live long enough, you find something else to fight for. And that's just life. And it explains so much of his daughter, Tess, and then Ellie. It explains so yeah. much. Yeah. And you get the sense that, you know, after his, his failed suicide attempt, you know, apparently the day after Sarah died, he tried to commit suicide. Yeah. You know, survival instinct, he ends up flinching and, and surviving. But you get the sense after that that he's just he's kind of just been on autopilot for 20 years maybe just yes. living you know mm-hmm. maybe his purpose was i'm going to protect tommy and then yep. after tommy went away it's just okay i've got this thing with tess i'm just i'm just going to you know tess and i we're just going to do our thing but he he barely has a reason to keep going really until yeah. until he meets and you know, falls in love with Ellie. And when I say that in, in the father daughter kind of way, but. Oh yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. So, but yeah, I, I do. Anna Torv uh, plays Tess on, on the show. And I think she, she's was, was a great casting and does, does a really good job bringing that character to life as well. We're introduced to Ellie uh, a little bit sooner on the show than, than we're introduced to her in the game. Cause like when we meet her in the game, it's the first time Joel meets her, but that's because we're also playing as Joel for the majority of the game. But I, but I like that this being a show, we can cut away to different POVs and I, and I like seeing her 
you know, in the lockup with Mar- with Marlene, like we're not sure why she's being held. And then we slowly kind of find out we maybe kind of glean, maybe she's immune type of thing. What do we think about the way in which Ellie was introduced on the show and, and you know, what kind of thoughts on, on the character in the early episodes? I like the intro of, of the character. She's quick. She's quippy. And she's attached, she attaches herself to one person very much like Joel. So we have this, we have this introduction to what type of character she is. She's young and she's seen a lot of change already in her life and you know it. So I, I enjoy getting this really fast paced boom, boom, boom. This is where this character is at. And you're like, this poor kid. I understand why she's quippy and hell to deal with. One thing I love about seeing Ellie on this show, even, you know, Ellie and Riley, is just the, in some ways, subtle, but in, you know, it sometimes, you know, it gets really shown just how different the kids are in this apocalypse because yeah. of how much they've seen, how much they've dealt with. It's like, well, people died. That happens. There's a dead <laughs> body. That's kind of funny, you know? Because if I stop and worry about the horrifying implications of death around me, I will never stop crying. So you kind of just have to take it on and yeah. accept it. And I don't know. It's it's an interesting dynamic. Um, but yeah, I love how like fierce and quippy she is like at all times. But also like yeah, deep finding herself deeply attached to people. Um, it's interesting how her relationship with the world that was. Is like sometimes she doesn't care at all, and other times she'll be like, "Oh yeah, well you know what happened here, here, and here." And I especially love you know when she first gets into car. It's like, "Oh yeah, this is a piece of shit." It's like, "I don't know, might as well be a spaceship." I've never been in one guy. <laughs> exactly. What well, that's what's interesting about you know Joel and Ellie as is the the, the co leads of the show is that you have. It's one thing that it that's also again interesting about having a post apocalyptic show that takes place twenty years in because you have the perspective of the one character who knows what life was like before the apocalypse, and then you have one character who was born into this world, and this world is all she's ever known. And I think that it's interesting to see that kind of dichotomy. And the fact that even when you're born in the apocalypse, like, a kid is still a kid, you know? Like, she's still playful. Right. She's still yes. curious about the world around her. She and, and I love that sense of humor. I love how quippy she is. Bella Ramsey, I'm going to be honest, like, I was one of those people who... I, I have such an attachment to Ellie from the games. Like Ellie's my favorite character from the game series. And I was worried when I, I saw who they cast as her. Cause like, I really liked her in that the role that she played in game of Thrones. And it was, it's not a huge role, but it's a memorable role that she played in game of Thrones. But I was, I was just having a hard time really seeing her and picturing her as Ellie until I actually saw her. And as soon, like immediately first episode, I was like, no, that she's it. Like I, it's like 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 her performance completely won me over to the point where especially like once I got to the end of the show now it's like she completely is Ellie and yeah. I I almost don't even see a distinction between Ellie from the game and Ellie from the show now like it it's it's she's so spot on. Yeah, from what I played of the game and you know watched of it online cuz you know I was interested in the story despite again just I I don't know, I didn't like the end of it. I'm going to stop trying to defend that. But point being, it really does blur because she 100% embodies the spirit of the character. Um, It is such absolutely perfect. She is just perfectly, perfectly cast as Ellie. Yeah, and Pedro Pascal as Joel, I also want to just touch on for a second before we kind of move on because... It's one of those things where I heard that casting and it was like, that wasn't who I would have pictured, but that makes sense. But even when I I watched his performance, he brings a different energy to the character than what Troy Baker, the original actor, did. But at the same time, he feels very true to the essence. But his his Joel is actually more, even with all the darkness, I feel that his Joel is more sympathetic in in a lot of places, in a lot of spots than, than the Joel from the game, like... He's like this. This is a Joel who is more vulnerable for a lot of the show uh, than than the more closed off Joel. And and Joel is a fen- phenomenally complex character in the game too. But it's interesting. Like I've I've heard Troy Baker um talk about in interviews before this show was made, before the show was produced. Uh, people used to ask Troy Baker who he would like to see play Joel. 
And Troy Baker, like his initial response was that he he could see somebody like Josh Brolin playing Joel, but but he but he also kind of said, which I thought was interesting. It's like I think uh, Josh Brolin would be would perfectly translate the Joel from the game to a movie or TV show version of it. But at the same time, in this is a quote from Troy Baker. I don't know if Josh Brolin playing Joel would show us anything new about the character that we don't know from the way I played the character before Mm -hmm. is basically what he said. And I, and he basically was like, I feel like there's probably an actor out there who can be true to the essence of it, but bring something new to it that like maybe is somebody that we hadn't even considered. And it's so perfect. Cause like, I think Pedro Pascal is completely that. And actually, uh, and I've, I've seen Troy Baker in interviews since the show has come out, essentially say that, that that was what he loved about Pedro Pascal was that you could totally see it, but he does bring something new to the role that, that Troy Baker, the original actor didn't bring to it and didn't necessarily see, which makes it, this show so worth it for people like Liz who haven't played the games, who are experiencing this for the first time, but also for people like me who have played the game with as as yeah. faithful as it is, you get to see a different side of some of these characters that makes it a new Needing experience. something new. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite Joel moments is a breakdown that he has when he's talking to his brother, Tommy. And in general, like, in a game, like, even The Last of Us, which does emphasize, like, being stealthy, being careful... Um, not trying to go in like a superhero at any time, you know, having very limited resources. Even with that, there is still something slightly bigger than life about video game characters, um, Joel. And I deeply enjoyed that the show took the opportunity to show, you know, not just uh, much more emotionally vulnerable, but also physically vulnerable. Um, His hearing is going. Um, he does have bad knees. He, when he gets hurt, he can't, you know, wrap up a med pack and slap it on and, you know, keep moving from there. Um, I loved that breakdown he had with Tommy when he's just so worried about him not physically or mentally being able to continue on. And that, that's exactly why I love Pedro Pascal in the role. He was able to bring a fierceness to Joel that was definitely in the games, but just him having that also that weakness and vulnerability um yeah it was was fantastic i'd like to say that i think they failed when they cast pedro pascal as joel because they don't have enough shirtless scenes (laughs) you're right well that's that's not really a failure of the casting (laughs) that's a failure of the execution (laughs) and yeah yes (laughs) yes there's not enough shirtless scenes casting is fine but you know this should have you know they made a few smart deviations from the game and yeah another smart deviation would have been you know two or three scenes of you know joel bathing in a river you know shirtless yeah you think it it should have been like there should be a part where they're like in the woods and there's a waterfall and like i've got to go take a waterfall shower they do like as a slow-mo waterfall shower yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean what the hell i i needed some of that when i found out that there was stuff like that in the game i was like why not why not where where is pedro's pecs pedro's pecs is missing from this show <laughs> and i know i know he has a dad bod and i'm fine with that i still say om nom 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 <laughs> I I think he's perfect as Joel. Anything that Pedro Pascal does is fucking perfect. And it just Mm. helps that he's so easy to look at. I mean, the problem is, is this with this show, I can't watch it without tissues to wipe my mouth. As I watch it, <laughs> okay. I'm glad, I'm glad you said to use on your mouth, Liz, because um, uh, first thought was going somewhere. I, had to, I couldn't go the other way. I couldn't go the other way. <laughs> that fruit I'm was too. I'm glad you're low. not using the tissues or something else while you watch the show. Yes. <laughs> Why are all these tissues so sticky? Uh, <laughs> uh. If you let them sit there long enough, you can use them to hit people with because they're hard. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm sorry. that's the real that's the real weapon to use against the clickers. Okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm ready for the clickers. <laughs> yeah.
But I, I was going to say, it, it is funny that they had uh, the, the version on, like, it's like, talk, you talk about Zach, about how the Joel on the show is a lot more physically vulnerable than the, than the Joel in the game. And I also agree that I think that that was a nice change. But it's interesting that they have uh, his hearing is 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 bad in, in one of his ears. And he has a hard time hearing people coming, which is kind of exactly contrary to the fact that the game, one of the gameplay features is be able to focus your hearing and see people like in the next room with your hearing ability. Oh, shit. That's like, so it's literally kind of the opposite that they made him in the game. He has like super hearing and then in the show, he can't hear for shit. That's what happens when you shoot guns for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that I found really interesting in uh, Z Nation is that the Murphy... Um, uh, one of my favorite shows, I actually love Z Nation, but Murphy, after he's bit, he starts to get special powers. And I found it interesting that they decided to kind of stay away from that with Ellie, that she doesn't get special, special abilities. Okay. I'm thinking from a sci-fi and I know that I love my B movies. So you, you can tell me if I'm completely wrong. But I think it would be interesting if there was something, even if, even if, a, a way for her to sense when they're around. I think that would be honestly like it would, considering the fact that they do talk about the kind of shared network of the cordyceps. Yeah. I think that that actually is not a bad idea. It's not a bad thought, Liz. It's not something yeah. that occurred to me, but it's also because it's not something really from the games. But I also think that the the show emphasizes the the network a lot more than the games do. Because you're right, like Zach talking about like. The, the, there is a whole thing about uh, spores that you breathe in that, that can also infect you that's in the game that's not actually in the show, which I, I miss that a little bit, but I it, I it also didn't really bother me as much that it wasn't there. But like I but that but that also does become like it's a minor ability, yeah. but like whenever there's spores uh, somewhere in the game. Uh, like Joel and Tess like always keep uh, gas masks on them in the game at, at a mm. point that like whenever there's spores they have to put gas masks on and but you get the point where Joel sees Ellie for the first time when they're in a spore environment Ellie's just breathing them in freely and so that that kind of becomes an ability that she has is just be able to breathe okay. the spores in but in the game in the show there's no the spores aren't really a thing so do you think they cut that because of the mask debate that we had to go through with COVID? I'm not sure. To be honest, I think that may, I, I'm. I'm not. I'm not sure if that played into it. I, I'd be interested to see if like Neil Druckmann and Craig Mazin have have talked about that in interviews at all. Like I have listened to a couple interviews and podcasts with them talking about this show, but they haven't mentioned that particular change in any of the things that I've watched or listened to. But I'd be I'd be interested to to see if they if they have any thoughts on that. But I'm, I'm not exactly sure why that change was made. It might just be that the, the idea of the connected tendrils was was maybe just more visually exciting for a TV show, and maybe maybe they just wanted to have that kind of replace the idea of spores. That could be one explanation for it, you know. It, it, I, or I'm I'm not I'm not really exactly sure, but I thought they cut it because of because they didn't want to split the nation. Because I would have had some fun with people dying not wearing their masks. No, I mean that's that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, again, they they did want to get away from the whole COVID comparison with this show. Yeah. Um, not yeah. not even necessarily to like split people, but just because they 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 just didn't want for this show. Like they want this show to be a work of well, fiction it splits and the to room. be it splits the nation. Yeah. People will see something yeah. like that and they'll say, "Fuck this show! I'm never watching it again." And they won't because. They're all butthurt. Yeah. I think that may well have played a part. I do also think that the tendrils are just more visually interesting. And it makes it... Keeps keeps the focus of the infection kind of on the zombies themselves. You know, it's like, oh, well, how do you get infected? Well, he just walked into the wrong room and breathed in spores and now he's a zombie. Yeah. Is not the same viscerally as, well, a zombie bit him in the face and now he's a zombie. But we would have been more tense. That's kind of my thing scenes. is like because because the bite the bites are still a thing in the game too but like I think by having it just be you get bitten and you become you become a zombie does make it feel a little bit more typical as as far as like zombie fiction goes I I like yeah. the spores as an added element of danger but it also doesn't bother me too much that they they took it out at the same time there would be a lot more argument at the end of why he would need to help them create a vaccine. And right. and he doesn't tell Ellie because Ellie would would give her life for the world. She would. 
So, but if I were afraid that walking around not wearing a mask in this world, that I would die because I would breathe in a spore and that's it. That's it, buddy. You're dead. You're gone. There's more of an argument to say, hey, we really need this cure. We don't want to kill this little girl either, but we really need this cure. Yeah, and again, and, and we'll get we'll get back to that uh, when we go fully into into that last episode. But yeah, that that that's kind of another thing is I I I do think that that debate is a little bit weaker in the show than it is in the game because they yeah. de-emphasize the the danger, the constant danger in in that regard. Yes. But. Any thoughts on Tess's death, her the sacrifice that she makes, you know, really, really, really well done, you know? To be honest, it's badass. Yeah. It is badass. I, I wasn't a big fan of Tess until this moment, to be honest. Did you, okay, as someone who hasn't played the game, Liz, did you think that Tess was going to be a main character for the whole show? Or, di or did you think she was going to get killed off early? The way that they introduced Ellie, I thought that they were going to kill off some main characters as they went along. I thought Joel was on the chopping block at first, because the way they introduced her, I automatically thought Z Nation and what they would do with Z Nation is they kind of take out their leaders a few times just to kind of bring you back. But then they keep the this main core in the end, uh, for the end. And I thought they were going to do that. I didn't know if Joel was going to be there or not, but I figured Tess was on the chopping block because she was too direct. She kind of knew where they were going. She kind of had it all planned out. And I, th I thought she was too perfect. Yeah, that does make sense. Can't have anyone who knows everything that's going on. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where I, I think that the marketing for both the original game when it came out 10 years ago and for the show in some ways does a little bit of a disservice to that. It's it, it's hard to really market it without Castlevania. But like, the, the marketing for, for even for the game back then was very much focused on Joel and Ellie going on this journey together. So mm -hmm. I remember kind of figuring that Tess was going to get killed off even when I played the game 10 years ago, which yes. I think is a little bit unfortunate. But at the same time, they're selling it on what the game and what the show is ultimately yeah. about. And there's there's I don't think there's anything really wrong with doing that, but... I do think that it kind of does immediately put Tess on the chopping block, but if you manage to go into this show blind to kind of the pop culture or the marketing around it, then I do think that there is, you know, like, you might think that Tess is going to be an actual main character yeah. for the whole show, so... But but her right. death does have impact both in the game and in the show, and I think it's really effectively done in both. I figured it was going to be her or Joel, and then I figured Joel has the star power, and I don't think they're going to pull a screen. Yeah. <laughs> right. Again, I'm I'm coming through again having played the game, so like I know yeah. I know that is Joel and Ellie. I know the journey is ultimately Joel and Ellie for yeah. sure. But and 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 they killed Tess almost the same way that they killed her in the game, although they actually gave her death more meaning on the show. Because in the game, she's actually killed by, I think it's Fedra guys who come in and kill her. She's just like, I'm just gonna buy you guys a few seconds while you guys escape. But like, in the show, I love that she actually manages to to blow up the all, all the infected that come in. I think it's a lot, it's a better death for her. Of yeah. like, uh, having it be more of a meaningful sacrifice rather than, I'm just gonna shoot like two guys and then they're gonna mow me down. Which is pretty much what happens in the game. Yeah. But, uh, of course, it's also one of those things where, as it's happening, as, as she's struggling with that lighter, you're just, like, screaming at the lighter. It's like, fucking light! God damn it! Like, you know, like, <laughs> You building. always pick the worst times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the aliens thing. You remember when it's getting close to, to Ripley, and then it lets out that second mouth. It's like... <sighs> But it's grosser because it's like the alien is putting that second mouth in your mouth when those little feelers come out. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah. that was really well done, but also super disgusting. <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. That was a great moment, I thought. Well, guys, that is going to conclude part one of our review of The Last of Us season one. So make sure that you're subscribed to us anywhere that you listen to your podcasts so that you can listen to part two of our review of The Last of Us season one next Friday when it airs. We are going to be talking about the rest of the show and giving our overall thoughts, and each of us are going to give a score of 1 out of 10 to the entire season as well. Make sure that you also are following NerdShit at the NerdShit Pod on all social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the NerdShit Pod. 
Stay shitty, nerds.